A very good morning uh, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, and also to the friends that are with us, uh, both in person, as well as those who are online. Uh, thank you for taking time to be with us for this morning's uh, worship, and we hope that uh, you'll find this uh, morning worship uh, edifying to you. Now, we are currently on the series of our uh, lessons uh, on Preach the Word. Okay, uh, we have some seats over inside as well. Uh, thank you. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Okay. Uh, so we are carrying on a series of lessons uh, about preaching, uh, the team preach the word. And uh, after Kaysing uh, started the series by teaching us on, they ceased not to preach. And I uh, also spoke on the topic of the word of God, a fire in the heart. And Brother Danny two weeks ago spoke to us about the foolishness of preaching. And so I'll continue this series by talking about we preach God ourselves. <clears throat> I'd like to begin by posing a question to all of you. What do you think makes a good preacher? Think about it. What would you consider to be a good preacher? Well, for some, maybe they're looking for someone who is sociable, uh, someone who is popular with the old and with the young, someone who is a people person, uh, that's someone that you can feel comfortable with, they like to hang out with. Maybe for them, that's a good preacher. For some, they may look for people who are well-dressed, refined looking, very sophisticated, uh, people that you will be proud to show to your friends and introduce you as their preacher. Maybe that would be a good preacher for them. Well, for others, maybe they're looking for eloquence. Uh, someone who can be talked very well, can converse very well, make you catch your attention. Uh, maybe someone who can uh, tell you stories that will make you cry. Or someone who can tell you jokes that will also make you laugh until you cry as well. So for some, that could be a good preacher. But what if you come across a preacher that is the complete opposite of what I described all about? How about someone who is a loner, who doesn't like to socialize, uh, but usually hangs out by himself? How about someone who is scruffy looking, maybe very rugged, maybe rough looking, uh, not very well attired, not very refined looking? Or someone who is very tactless, who speaks very bluntly, very directly, and causes offense to others? What do you think about some such a preacher? Maybe some people will not think much of this person. They'll probably say this person doesn't really, so not really suitable to a preacher. Well, but let me share with you what is God's assessment of such a preacher. In Matthew, in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus says, For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Or not Jesus gave a growing commendation to such a preacher. You see, John the Baptist was not like a typical preacher. Okay? He wasn't someone who was very sociable, hanging out with people at functions and activities. Okay? In fact, Jesus says in Matthew 11, verse 28, that he does not come drinking and eating. In fact, you see that he's someone who is in solitude in the wilderness, preaching the word of God. There's no mention of him ever hanging out with people, mixing for fun activities, nothing of that sort. He was someone who wasn't very refined in dressing. Okay, the Bible tells us in Mark chapter 1 verse 6 that he was clothed in camel's hair, someone who is very rugged looking, instead of being someone who is clothed in fine raiment. Jesus said that those are palaces, these like that, but not John the Baptist. And John the Baptist also wasn't very tactful, wasn't he? He actually lost his head because he told the king, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And in fact, he offended the elites in the society. The Pharisees, the Sadducees of the day, those who were considered the leaders of the, of the day, he offended them by calling them a generation of vipers. Who want you to flee from the wrath to come? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. He wasn't someone who was very tactful. In fact, Jesus says that he wasn't like a reed that was shaken with the wind. In Matthew 11, verse 7. 
This means that you order someone that goes where the wind blows. The wind blows here, okay, I'll say what you like to hear. Someone says another thing, I'll tell you what you like to hear. He wasn't a crowd pleaser. But yet our Lord says that the among men, born of woman, there is no greater prophet, there is no greater preacher than John the Baptist. Perhaps the one great quality that makes John the Baptist truly great in God's sight was that unlike most people who seek their own, who are looking for their own benefits, their own comfort, their own pleasure, this was a true preacher who would gladly decrease for Christ to increase. In fact, this man once humbly said that Christ must increase and I must decrease. This was a man who did not preach about himself, who was not concerned about drawing glory to himself, but he was concerned about the glory of Christ. And so this morning's lesson, as we consider about Paul's counsel against preaching ourselves, we shall look at three things that we should not preach about ourselves. Firstly, we must not preach for our own benefit. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is where we will be spending most of our time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 to verse 6. That is our key text for this morning. Let's first read the first two verses. Okay. And here Paul says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. In the earlier chapter, Paul spoke about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and the New Covenant, about how now we are living under a better covenant. And so he says we have this ministry that was given to the apostles to preach the gospel. He said that we say that they will continue in preaching the gospel. And in verse 2, he says, but we have, reserved, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in corruptness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So these three things that the Apostle Paul says, okay, in verse 2, about three things that false teachers do, but they have renounced. Renounce means to give up, not to go in there. Okay. So what are the three things? Paul says he has renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. He has renounced walking in corruptness. And he has renounced handling the word of God deceitfully. These are three things the four teachers do, but yet Paul, as a preacher of God's word, he does not preach for his own benefit. He does not engage in such life. Let's consider these three things the four teachers teach for their own benefit. Firstly, we see that false teachers they follow the secret things of dishonesty or the hidden things of dishonesty. This means that false teachers they are dishonest. They do not preach the truth. And the word dishonesty is quite interesting, okay? Because you look at the Greek word, which is from the Greek word, Aiskune, okay? it means it's a thing to be ashamed of. So false teachers will preach things that are false, they are lies, they are dishonest. And these are things that are shameful, okay? And this brings to mind of the people in Jeremiah's time, isn't it? Okay? When Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 6 verse 14, they have healed the part of my people, you know, they the daughter, they have healed also the part of the daughter of my people study saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So notice these four teachers were very deceitful. They were dishonest. God says judgment will come upon them. But in order to, for their own benefit, to please the people to be popular, they told the people that there will be peace. Don't worry. Even though you have done wrong, God will still love you. God will not take any punishment. You shall have peace. That is the dishonest things they are engaged in. And in fact, we talk about things that are supposed to be shameful. It's things that are dishonest, that are shameful. But yet, they have no shame in that. In verse 15, Jeremiah asked, Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, they were not yet ashamed, not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. 
So these are people who are talking about things that should be ashamed of, they were engaged in sins that they should feel uh, shameful, but yet they are not ashamed of them. And so whole teachers teach things for their own benefit. They teach about things that are dishonest and things that are shameful. For instance, today there are certain churches that have embraced homosexuality in order to please the crowd, in order to attract the masses, people who embrace such a movement. They preach that it's okay, God loves everyone, which is true, and they say that God does not care what you do, you will still go to heaven. They are compromising the truth in order for popularity. Such are false teachers who preach for their own benefit. Second thing that false teachers preach, notice that they walk in craftiness. The word craftiness is from the Greek panokia, which means a species of false wisdom. Okay. Uh, species is not a common word we see, in fact, look up the dictionary. Uh, but it says the word species means superficially plausible, but actually wrong. So it means that something that seems to be very wise, something that is very right, but actually it's not so. Again, okay, false teachers profess human wisdom. Things that sound logical, things that sound very wise, something that sounds very humble. But it is actually not so. Again, we consider what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 21 to verse 23. He was contending with false teachers who were teaching of their own wisdom. And what he says in verse 21, these false teachers say, teach, touch not, taste not, handle not. And all these are to carry with the using. And notice Paul says, these are after the commandments and doctrines of men. So they sound very holy. Uh, no, you don't touch this, you don't taste this, you don't handle this. These are things that are prohibited. They are holy, you cannot do all this. Okay. And verse 23 says, these things have a show of wisdom in real worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying flesh. Okay. So this Paul says that this thing that people teach, oh, don't do this, don't do that, it seems to be very wise. It seems to be very humble, as if you are serving God. Okay. And they teach you to, uh, to uh, stay from the physical desires. They teach it as something that is from God. But Paul says these are after the doctrines and commandments of men. Are these teachings still around? No, well, yes. For instance, again, there are some churches, some denominations who teach celibacy. They say that you have to stay celibate in order to be more holy. People who are of certain officers in the church, they say that you cannot marry because they say once you marry, you defile yourself. Again, is it God's commandment? Of course not. Because God says marriage is honorable, you know, in Hebrews 13 verse 4. And in 1 Corinthians 7, he says that the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the believing husband. And the believing, unbelieving husband is sanctified by the believing wife. Okay. So marriage is honorable. But false teachers teach things that seem to be very wise. They say that you have to be holy, so you cannot engage in marriage. You cannot eat meat, you have to eat vegetables, you have to be vegetarian. It sounds wise, it sounds very humble. But again, such are binding things where God has not bound. So again, they preach for their own benefit in order to elevate themselves as superior, as holier than others. Such are false teachers. And the third thing that false teachers do when they preach for their own benefit is that they handle the word of God deceitfully. They are not honest. They are very dishonest. They teach the word of God. In fact, the word deceitfully comes from the Greek word gonuo, which means to corrupt. They are corrupting the word of God. It means that they have poisoned God's word. They use God's word not in the context, but take it out of their context and use it as a pretext. Okay. And again, Peter speaks about such kinds of false teachers. 
Okay. In fact, if you notice, Peter, he acknowledged that Paul's teachings are some of it are difficult to understand. Okay. In verse 18, he says some of Paul's epistles, he write of things that are hard to understand. Okay. Uh, in fact, you look at Romans, books like Romans, it's a difficult book at times. Okay. So the books of his writings are indeed difficult. Uh, in fact, some people believe that Hebrews is written by Paul, and uh, some of it has references to Old Testament that for us today may be a bit difficult to understand. But for Paul's teachers, instead of understanding and study further, what do they do? Peter says, they that are unlearned and unstable, they will rest, they will twist the scriptures, and they do the other scriptures unto their own destruction. So what do false teachers do? They take the word of God, they are not honest, they twist it to suit their own doctrine. Consider doctrines such as one saved, always saved. But doctrines such as faith alone saved. You look at passages as Look at such as, uh, they look passages like John 3 16. They say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish by everlasting life. They say, You see, don't say that if you believe in him, you shall not perish. But they do not read the whole context. Because in the earlier verse, in John chapter 3, verse 3 and verse 5, Jesus says, Except you be born of water and of spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. They are very deceitful. They do not look at the earlier verses. They just take the one verse and teach that you do not need to be baptized to be saved. But you look at Acts 16 verse 31, where, where Peter told, uh, where Paul told the Philippians, you know, believe on the house, believe on the Lord with your household, and you shall be saved. But they appear reject to look further down to see that on the same hour of the night, the Philippians, you and his household, they were baptized. Why would they need to be baptized if they were saved? Again, such was not the way to handle God's word. They handled it. This is for me. So we see that Paul teachers, they preach for their own benefit. In order to make themselves look superior to others and to please the people to judge what people like to hear so that they'll be popular. But instead of preaching the word of God deceitfully, preaching for our own benefit, the preachers of God's word must preach the truth. For look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul talks about how they have manifested the truth to commend themselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So this Paul manifested the truth. God's preacher must preach the truth. It may not be their benefit. In fact, it may be to their detriment. A lot of times when you preach things that are the right thing, people do not like to hear them. They get offended to step on people's toes. But God's preachers must preach things even if it's to the detriment, even if people do not like them. When you look at Galatians, when Paul went to the Galatians, he asked them, Am I your enemy? Because I tell you the truth. He heard their feelings, he heard what they're thinking, because he did not preach what they want to hear, but he preached the truth. In fact, he preached the truth, notice what he Paul gave up. Man. Before he became a preacher of God's word, he was actually very highly respected. He was a Pharisee. Highly respected, doing well in life, uh, having a lot of honor, a lot of glory, and respect from his peers. But he says that when he preached Christ in verse 8 of, uh, verse 8 of Philippians chapter 3, he says, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them but done that I may be Christ. Notice that when Paul preached the truth, he suffered the loss of all things. The friends that he considered as people that were close to him, they respected him, now they turned against him. Everybody wanted to decide. The Gentiles may preach to kill him, wanted to kill him. The Jews that they considered him as a traitor to also wanted to kill him as well. Everyone was against him. But yet, he continued to preach the truth. And why do why does Paul want to preach the truth? Because in so doing, he said that he will have a conscious, clear conscience before God and before man. 
as we read look in Second Corinthians chapter four, verse two, Paul says how he commanded themselves to man's conscience in the sight of God. When you preach the truth, he has a clear conscience before man, before God, because there's nothing to hide, there's nothing to be ashamed of. He does not have to cover up whatever you preach, this indeed from God. And we see that Paul indeed preached everything that people needed to know. In next chapter 20, when you're speaking to the efficient elders, he says that he kept back nothing from them that was profitable for them. Whatever they needed to hear, even if things that you do not like to hear, he preached the truth. And verse 26 and verse 27, Paul says, he declared, I am pure from the blood of all men. He has no blood on his hands. Why? Because he has not shunned to declare all the counsel of God. Today, if we preach the truth, everything that a person needs to know, there is no need to be ashamed. We do not have to have innocent blood on our hands. But if we do not preach the truth, we withhold the truth from them. We let teach them what they like to hear. See, if they perish in sin, then we are responsible for them as well. And so, brethren, we need to preach the truth instead of preaching things for our own benefit. God's preachers must always uphold the truth. And when we do that, what will be the outcome? I think there will be less strife in Christianity. Why? Because everybody's focus is to preach what God wants us to know. Instead of preaching for our own agenda, instead of preaching for our own benefit, instead of trying to draw people to ourselves, ultimately when we bring glory to God and draw people to God, there will be no religions. There will be no upset about what you have done, what you have heard. Because people know that we are teaching what God wants us to know. In fact, I think even the lost church is very sad that sometimes there are divisions, not because of doctrinal, but because of personality differences. Okay. I look at some churches, maybe in other countries, they divide us, they draw divisions, not because of the truth, but because I do not like you, so I withdraw fellowship. The whole church all which fellowship the person, and that's not healthy. That's because people are preaching for their own gain. Okay. I want people to listen to me. I don't like the brother or sister. There is division. And so when we preach the truth only, there will be less strife. In fact, look at what Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 15 to verse 17. He talks about two kinds of motivation why people preach. Some preach Christ of envy and strife. They want to show that they are better than others. They show want to show that they are good. But there are souls who preach out of good will. They preach because they love God, they love the souls of men. Paul says the one, the former, preach kind of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to Paul's bonds. They thought that by preaching, they can now take over Paul's position and make Paul feel bad. That was for their own purpose, their own benefit. But the other for them, because they know that Paul is set for the defense of the gospel. They were calling us together with Paul in preaching gospel. And so, brethren, as God's preachers, we must always treat the truth instead for our own benefit. Secondly, when we talk about we preach to ourselves, it means that we must not preach from our own belief. Again, both teachers, they preach for their own benefit. They also preach of their own belief and not what the Bible says. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 to verse 4. And Paul says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world have blinded the minds of them that believe God, that the left the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Again, here we notice three things about false teachers. Okay. Firstly, you notice that for the false teachers, the gospel is shifted from them. Second thing, we see in verse 4 that the, for those who are false teachers, their minds have been blinded. Okay. And thirdly, we see that there are people who believe not. Let's again look at these three characteristics of false teachers. Firstly, 
we see that for all Christians who preach for their own belief, the gospel is hid from them. Does it mean that we can never know the truth? Well, that's not the case. Because when we talk about the gospel being hid from them, it means that they do not want to know something. In fact, the word hid is from the Greek word kalupto, which means to hinder the knowledge of a thing. It's not that you cannot know it, but they choose not to know it. Consider, for example, what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15. We know about the Jews that were very hard-hearted, who were not receptive to the gospel. Was it because God has hidden the truth from them? Well, that's not the case. Because Jesus says it's these people whose hearts are wet cross, they harden their heart. Their ears are down of hearing, and their eyes have they closed. Notice the responsibilities upon they themselves. They close their eyes, they shut their ears, they harden their hearts. And that's indeed the case. You see that when the truth is preached, they refuse to hear the truth. Remember Stephen, who was a South preacher of God's word, the next seven, he preached a very excellent lesson. Okay? I talk about the history of the Jews. In fact, Acts 7 is a very good book, good chapter to talk about the history from the, from the forefathers all the way to the deliverance. Okay? He gave a history of them. And he talked about how the forefathers were hardened of heart. And he says, now you too are stiff-necked and uncircumcised heart. What were the response of the hearers? You notice that when, when Stephen preached against them, what would they do? In next seven verse 57, 58, they were crying out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. Was it only that these people could not hear the truth? It's not. The gospel was not hidden from them in the sense that it was not that God who did not want them to know. But they hide the truth from themselves. When the truth is being preached, they do not want to hear. They shut their ears. Remember what I said? They shut their ears and they stole the messenger. If they could not stop him from speaking, they are going to silence him by death. That is what all teachers are guilty of. They preach for their own belief because they do not want to know the truth. They have closed their hearts to the truth. And secondly, we see that their minds are blinded. The word blinded is from the Greek word tafnuo, which means to, darken the, to blind the mental discernment, to darken the mind. So instead of hearing the truth, what they want to hear is man's wisdom. Man's words will make them feel good about themselves. Things that tickle the ears, they are very interesting. They are very unique to them. That's what they like to hear. So in this sense, their minds have been darkened. Because instead of filling it with the pure word of God, not pure word of God, they are filled with the poisonous doctrines of men. And again, Paul talked about such people in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and verse 4. He says, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Instead of listening to the truth, what will they do? After their own last, they will keep to themselves teachers having teaching ears. They want to hear teachers that will tickle their ears, make them feel good about themselves, make them laugh, make them uh, very happy. And they shall turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Notice they do not want the truth. They want stories to entertain them. Oh, tell me what happened to Jesus when he was between the age of 1 to 12. But the Bible doesn't say, but he tell me stories, tell me fables, tell me interesting tales. That's what they like to hear. A lot of times you see in denominations, they talk about testimonies. Things that will please people, that people like to hear stories. But we see that that should not be the case. In fact, we see that the Jews, the Israelites, in the time of Isaiah, they were guilty of that, weren't they? They did not know the truth, not because that they couldn't understand, but it's because they wanted to hear false things, things that would make them peace and happy about themselves. Look at Isaiah, what he says in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10 and verse 11. Notice what the people say. They say to the seers, the prophets, see not, and to the prophets, 
Prophesy not to want the right things. Speak to us, move things. Prophesy deceit. When Isaiah preach the truth, they say, don't tell me the truth. Tell me lies. Tell me lies that will make me feel good about myself. In fact, in verse 11, it says, get you out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Cause the Holy One of Israel to see from before us. Whenever Isaiah spoke, he has to speak God's word. He has to speak God's judgment. But now the Jews say, don't talk about God. Cause the Holy One to see from us. Don't tell me what will happen to me. Tell me things that are good for me to listen. Again, their minds are blinded because instead of following the truth, they have followed man's doctrines. Especially, for all teachers, even if they are presented with the truth, even if they show them what is written in God's word, the Bible tells us they believe not. They do not believe. The word for believe not is from the Greek word apistos, which means unbelieving or incredulous. Okay. Incredulous also means unwilling or incapable to believe something. They do not want to believe. So you can show them what is written, but they will not accept it. And Paul again talks about such a person in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10 to verse, 11, to verse 12. He says, With all receivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. But these people do not receive the love of the truth. They will not the truth. The key point, they don't know the truth, that's why they will not believe the truth. And verse 11 says, For this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So God allowed them to be deceived, because if you don't know the truth, you will believe in error. And verse 12, he says, That they all may be them which believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay. So you notice that these people, they have pleasure in unrighteousness. They do not want the truth. They do not even want to believe the truth. So for four teachers, sometimes it's not that they do not know right or wrong. They may know it, but they choose not to believe it. This used to be an incident uh, that I was uh, I, I encountered uh, when I was sharing with a gospel with one of, our, one of the members' parents. Uh, we became quite good friends as well. I remember that we were talking about the topic of baptism. Okay? And we showed a lot of verses that convinced him that baptism is necessary. Okay? Uh, but he was from the, another faith, okay, which teach him that uh, you don't need to be baptized. In fact, the faith told him that you can be sprinkled, you can be caught, you can be immersed up to you. And in fact, it's not even compulsory at all. Okay? So what he did was that after being convinced of the truth, he called the priest. Okay? And he asked them, why are you teaching that baptism? You don't need to be immersed. Because the Bible shows so clearly that it's immersion. You know what the person tell him? The person told him that, oh, baptism is not important. You can use any means, sprinkling, pouring, or immerse. In fact, you don't even need to use water at all. You can be immersed in sand as well. Well, that's a twisting of God's word, isn't it? The Bible says he showed them the truth, but yet, those who are false, just refuse to believe. They will twist God's word and take them out of context. And so instead of preaching things that are of our own belief, God's preachers must preach only the gospel of Christ. Because if you look in uh, chapter 4, verse 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says that it's the light of the glorious gospel of Christ will shine to us. The gospel is hid to those who are lost. And so in order for us not to be lost, we must preach the gospel. God's word must shine into our hearts. Because it's God's word that will save the souls of men. So personal beliefs do not save. God's gospel will save. And we must also preach the gospel of Christ even if it goes against our own belief, our own thinking. All teachers you have mentioned, they preach for their own belief, right? But God's preachers cannot do that. Even if it contradicts their belief, they must preach the truth. Again, I think Paul is an excellent example of a good preacher. You remember when Paul, before he became a Christian, what was he? He was a Judaizer, right? 
Okay. In fact, do this contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. He persecuted Christians. I can imagine for someone who is like him, confronted the truth to tell you that all the things you have done is wrong. The Christians you have put to death are innocent. You are guilty of the blood. A lot of times people in the position will choose not to, to change their mind. Right? Because it's very difficult for them to reconcile. To let them know themselves know that they have done wrong against God, they are murderers. But what did Paul do? We see that even though he, he had a belief, a uh, sense of belief that he strongly believed in, but when confronted with the truth, we see he submitted himself to the gospel. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 23, Paul says that the Christians have heard that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which he once destroyed. This was a man who does not care about personal pride of faith. Okay? If I'm wrong, I'm just saying I'm wrong. Even though earlier he had destroyed the faith, the Christian faith, but now he's someone who is willing to protect it, to defend it, because he knew that was the right thing to do. And so we must preach the gospel of Christ. Because it's doing so, we avoid being lost. The gospel is hid to those who are being lost. And so for us, if we follow the truth, then we will not be lost. We will be saved. And rather than he preached to us two weeks ago about the foolishness of preaching. It's only foolish to those who perish, those who, are, to those who do not want to follow the truth. They say such a gospel is foolishness. But for us who are saved, it is the power of God. And so we need to preach the truth because the truth will save souls. It will save others, it will save my soul as well. In fact, what is the consequence if men do not preach of their own belief, but everybody preach only the gospel of Christ? Well, I think there will be less skepticism of Christianity, isn't it? Today, a lot of people are confronted with so many confusing doctrines, so many confusing churches, that are standing that if I cannot know which is right, I am so confused, I'd rather not believe at all. You know, like you have a paralysis of choice, you want to buy a gadget, but with so many gadgets, you don't know which is the best. A lot of times I go in the shop, uh, uh, which one is good, uh, okay, the price is all very different, but everybody telling about different functionalities, uh, and now I walk out of the shop, I uh, never buy anything. Got too many choices, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to do something and buy the wrong thing, I get cheated. A lot of people like that, when it comes to religion, they say that I cannot know which one is the right church, I, I'm not sure, so I'd rather not believe at all. So you see, when people preach their own beliefs, it kills off faith. It kills off belief and zeal of others. In fact, it's the prayer of Jesus for unity. In John 17, verse 20 and 21, Jesus says, Neither pray for this alone, for the apostles, but for them which shall believe on me through that word. So he's preaching for all Christians to believe on him through the teachings of the apostles. And he says, what is he saying in verse 21? That they all may be one, as thou Father are in me, and I in thee, that they be one in us. So this Christ pleaded for unity. Everyone should be one, just as God and Christ are one. Remember Jesus, when he came to this earth, he said, I came not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. The preaching is from God. So today, if everybody is teaching the same thing from God, what will be the result? See, verse 21, Jesus says, when that happens, the world may believe that thou hast sent me. If Christianity is all united, we are all united in the faith, we teach the same thing. Then it will be very easy for people to believe. You see, these people are so united, they are all teaching God's word. The Bible must be from God because he has so much evidence and he teaches the right things. That will be the case if everybody will preach the gospel of Christ. But, sad to say, today there are four teachers who preach for their own benefit, for their own beliefs, and that causes a lot of divisions in Christianity. And lastly, when it talks about we preach to ourselves, it means that we must not preach our own deed. I must not bring preach of my own person to draw glory to myself. The pulpit should not be used as a, for a platform to tell people how great that I am. If you look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5 to verse 6, okay, Paul says, we preach not 
ourselves, but thank Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. So this Paul says, we are not to preach ourselves, to bring glory to ourselves. I am not the Lord, I am not the King. But preachers are just servants, just like the rest of Christians. We are here to serve. And verse 6, he says, For God, who commanded the light to shine of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Ultimately, the thing that will save man is the gospel. It's not about me, but about what I am. That is not the main topic. That is not the main issue that we can talk about. But we see that all teachers, they preach of their own being. They draw people to them. They draw attention to themselves. For instance, they glory after the flesh. They want to talk about things, their achievements, what kind of education that they have. And in fact, Paul talks about these four teachers. He said that, see, seeing that many glory of the flesh, I will glory also. So in 1 Corinthians 11, we see that Paul talks about the suffering that he went through for Christ. He says, you want to talk about achievements, let me tell you about mine. Although you acknowledge that this is foolishness and boasting. But it's to shut the four teachers, to show that they have no right, they should not be preaching about themselves. But today, you see that indeed, four teachers, they preach about themselves, isn't that? They talk about how great they are, they give themselves titles. Okay? Many titles. Titles that are characteristics of God. They talk of themselves as reverend, holiness. All these are God's attributes that should not be attributed to men. And all teachers, we see that they wanted to be lost over God's heritage. Remember when Peter writes to the elders, he okay, speaks to the elders, he says that elders have certain qualifications. Okay, and one of the characteristics is that elders should not be lost over God's heritage, but they are to be examples to the flock. Elders have authority. But they are not there to be dictators. They are there to care, to serve, and to love the brethren. So that is the characteristics of a preacher of God. But for four teachers, they want to be lost. They don't challenge my teaching. If you ask them, why do you teach this? The Bible says this. They say, oh, don't challenge me. The Bible is final. They wanted to be lost. They want to have the final say in everything. And four teachers, they will oppose and exalt himself above that which is called God. And again, writing in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4, conflicts of people who are opposed and exalt themselves above God or that we worship. And he has God seated in the temple of God, showing that he himself is God. So again, that is on nations. The preacher said that I'm a representative of Christ. I'm Christ on earth. Whatever I say has more authority than the Bible. The teach of the whole teaching, the own beliefs, instead of what God wants us to believe. So notice that all teachers they bring glory, they bring attention to themselves. But for God's preachers, they must preach Christ Jesus the Lord. He must increase and I must decrease. He must preach Christ even if it humbles them. Even if they are brought into a very low position because of preaching Christ, they still will do that. Again, when you consider the Apostle Paul as an example of a great preacher, he was someone who was willing to give up everything in order to preach Christ. In fact, look at his words, uh, talking about the suffering that the apostles went through in order to bring the gospel to the Corinthians. He says, being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the fruit of the world. Can you imagine? We preach God's word, but people treat like the dirt uh, and the fuel of the world. And they are made the offscoring of all things unto this day. So they are with the worst, the most worthless things in order to preach Christ. But yet, for Christ's sake, the apostle Paul willingly endured them. And why do we do that? Why do we preach Christ Jesus the Lord? So that he can shine forth the light of Christ. As it says in verse 6, uh, that God commanded the light to shine out of darkness and shine to our hearts, to give the light the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. So God's light has shined to him, 
and now he's reflecting the light to show forth Christ to the world. And so it's with Jesus Christ who are shining forth the light of Christ. And that is what Paul also tells us in Philippians 2, verse 14 to verse 16. He tells Christians to do all things without murderings, without disputing. When we do that, he says, we become blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse world, among whom you shine as light in the world. So we have to shine for the light of Christ, so that we bring glory to Him. And in fact, if preachers will not preach of themselves, but when they preach about Jesus Christ, what will happen? Again, there will be less divisions in Christianity. Today, there are a lot of denominations. Why? Because everybody is drawing followers after themselves. Every Christian denomination they realize has its own set of doctrines, its own set of beliefs, its own set of practices. One of these patterned after the person, the founder who came out with all these doctrines. So when you preach about men, it has not to be denominations, it has not to be divisions. But today, everybody will just preach Christ Jesus the Lord, bring the glory to Christ. Then divisions will we will not, not be there. Denominations will fall down. There will not be any St. John Church, St. Paul Church, St. Peter Church. Because in fact, Paul tells them, don't make churches after me. Don't follow after me. So that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10 to verse 13. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no deviance among you, but you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. What this Paul says that there should be no divisions. How will that be achieved when they speak the same thing, when they are joined the same mind, the same judgment? There can only be unity if everybody is preaching the same thing. In fact, in verse 11, he says that the household of Chloe had declared to him that there are contentions among them. Even in the Corinthian church, there are a lot of contentions, a lot of religions. Why? Because there are people who say, I'm of Paul, I want to follow Paul. I want to follow Apollos, I want to follow Peter, and some say, I'm of Christ. But Paul asked the question, is Christ divided? It was Paul crucified for you. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? It's a rhetorical question. Of course, the answer is no. So if you are not done all this in the name of Paul, then why do you want to follow Paul? Yeah, but yet today there are people who claim to be followers of Paul. That's why there's St. Paul's church, St. Peter's church. But yet, Paul says, don't follow me, follow Christ. If only today everybody will preach Christ instead of themselves, there will be no divisions, there will be no denominations. And so, brethren, we ask that the question, what makes a good preacher? What makes a good preacher? In fact, a good preacher is someone who will not preach of themselves. It may be good to have a preacher that is well-dressed, because he's someone that people maybe will have respect for him, they will give attention to him. Uh, we have to admit that first impressions count. Uh, if, if you have a visitor coming, you see the preacher dressed in singlet and shorts, uh, I don't think they will give much respect to him. They will not even want to listen to him. So first impression counts, it's good to have a preacher that is well-dressed. But I think what is more important is that preachers must preach for, not for his own benefit, but to preach the truth. It's not being about how good he is or how much he has, but it's what he preaches, the truth. And it may be good to have a preacher that is eloquent, it's good to have someone that can catch attention, that people want to listen to. But what is more important is that he preaches not of his own belief, but the gospel of Christ. There can be preachers who are very charismatic, but if they are not preaching the gospel, but only their own beliefs, then they are used for nothing. Or rather, I'm a preacher that preaches the truth, but it's not so interesting. I will take that over any time over preachers who are charismatic, but teach error. And thirdly, maybe it may be good for a preacher to be sociable, because he can relate to people, but people who listen to him, he can influence people. But I think more importantly is that he's not about drawing people to him or attention to himself. 
but about drawing people to Christ. The sad state of Christianity today, with its multitude of denominations, is due to the fact of men preaching themselves instead of Christ. They have disregarded Paul's counsel that the excellency of the power is of God and not of men. Men may thinking that they must persuade people by their own wisdom, by their own eloquence, but really, we have to just show people the word of God. If the heart is true, the heart is sincere, they will believe. It's not about what we say, but about what the word of God says. In fact, we consider that for people who have been convicted, who have been drawn to people, okay, people who preach about themselves, who draw followers after them, we notice that these people they are not built on the solid foundation of the spiritual rock. The belief is not on Christ, but it's on the thinking sense of man's wisdom. What happens when the founder, when the leader falls away? Many times you see that the people will fall away because their faith is built on people rather than on Christ himself. But if our faith is built on Christ, what happens even if brethren leave the church? They are faithful. People that we, we love, they lack the faith. We will still be faithful because our foundation is on Christ and not upon men. And so brethren, for us, we point them to the Lamb of God like John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist, he joined, but he said, he told the disciples, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the seeds of the world. He's not concerned that his followers leave him and draw and follow Christ, because that was his duty. Do we do that, or do we draw disciples after ourselves, like false teachers? And Paul won again in Acts 20, verse 13. I think the answer is very clear. Today, we must point them to the right person, to Christ, and not after ourselves. The friends and visitors that joined us this morning, uh, thank you very much for being with us. Let's for you to consider about your salvation. Are you saved according to God's word, God's teaching? Do you want to do the will of God to enter heaven? And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, 21, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Are we doing, really doing the will of God, what God has said to us in his word? Or do we, are we just really blinders, blind followers, throwing the blind? And Jesus says in Matthew 15, 14, If the blind throw the blind, both will fall into the ditch. Have you obeyed the gospel according to what Christ has shown us in his word? But have you just not man-made teachings? The Bible has shown us what to do to be saved. We see that God has done the greater part. He's sending his son to die for us. Jesus has died for us. And the Holy Spirit has revealed the instructions of what to do to be saved. The Bible is very clear. In order to be saved, you have to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, to repent of your sins, to confess your faith in Christ, and to be baptized in Christ for the remission of sins. And of course, that's not the end, because once saved, not always saved. You still have to be remain faithful unto death, and then you shall receive the crown of life. Have we done exactly as God has told us? Have we omitted certain parts, believing only what man tells us? Is that the case? Then we have to make ourselves right with God. We have a desire to obey the gospel, I will invite you to let us know, and we'll be glad if you would like to study further about God's word on this topic. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When the clouds come through, their wings are When the storm bites me and the cables sing, will your anchor be off Yeah.